Welcome back to the Esports Forever podcast. My name is Ryan Hebert alongside Jacob Schrader. And today we are delivering the latest in NFT, crypto, and esports news. Starting off on our beat today, we have got TSM and FTX, longtime esports company and team TSM, and not so longtime <laughs> FTX, have officially split ways. But yeah. it gets better. Because of Twitter's new verification rules, TSM was stuck with the name TSM FTX on Twitter for quite a while until they were able to get this resolved with a personal complaint into like Twitter's like customer service support team. Yeah. So as as of time of reporting, you know, this article, they were still stuck as TSM FTX on Twitter because they would lose their verification status if they changed their name. Yeah, I was going to say they have to be able to go through Twitter. Twitter Twitter's got to be on this, and it looks like they were. Yeah, they were, but, uh, but it, you know, a bunch of people you, reported on it. It was funny. Uh, it was funny. Yeah. It is interesting because you, you've seen all the Twitter stuff. I mean, Twitter is – I kind of saw this happening, right, when Elon said you can buy verification for $8 a month, right? It's just going to be rigged with people faking to be others. And I know Elon oh, yeah. said – you know, if you do this, you're gonna get banned. But no one gives a no one cares, right? They just want to have fun on the internet, get their four hundred thousand likes. People thinking that, uh, you know, Joe Biden. One of the ones was Elon Musk saying he drinks his piss every morning. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's actually funny stuff if you look at the um, like satirical posts that have been made. But going back to TS and FTX, we covered this. I mean, this was a ten year deal. And FTX did so much of this out of the gate, right? Like a year and a half ago, they were doing Tom Brady sponsorships. Then they did mm -hmm. this. And everyone was saying they were genius marketers, but they just were using fake money. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't turned out well for them. And, you know, on top of that, the crypto hate and bias is real. And so even though FTX was their main sponsor... Uh, they still had to black out the FTX name on the TSM jerseys during Worlds. Fun fact. Uh, wow. Before all this drama started dropping, they actually had to black out the crypto name on their jerseys. And that's because that's cause of Riot, right? That's because of Riot. Riot has a strict no cryptocurrency, no NFT policy. So they're like, yeah, we don't want we don't want any of that. You could still be sponsored by them, but there's no way on our broadcast that we're showing their name on your jersey. Yeah. Which I feel and like just to be clear. FTX definitely knew this when they signed the partnership. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe oh, they expected yeah. it to change in the future. Maybe. I never really understood this, to be honest. I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was a $210 million deal. That's the type of money that stadiums get for sponsorship, right? It yeah. Maybe a bit, it's probably a bit more than that, right? If they were to, if they, the FTX arena, I think that they had that too. I bet I guess that was more. Yeah. Was did, you, did you hear about? Uh, who's put money forth to uh, to rename that? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, this is probably this is probably the funniest thing I heard uh, all all over the weekend, which was uh, this this porno site called Bang Bros <laughs> has reached out to the people who own the arena to say, let us rename the arena the Bang Bros Center, the BBC. <laughs> And so they're like, we have millions of dollars. We will pay. Let us let us rename it to this to replace FTX. 
And it's well, that's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. But I mean, look, if Gar- if the White Sox can rename their field Guaranteed Rate Field after an insurance company, I mean, I think sillier and more ridiculous things can happen because look, it used to be called it used to be called Cellular Field, like that. Okay, that was cool. But and then it was like, well, that you know that partnership partnership ran up, and then it was like, yeah, how about Guaranteed Rate Field? It's like. What is the purpose of these sponsorships other than the fact it's that it's funny, like, man. it just sounds ugly? You it know, does. it's like it's like it sounds like it's college football, right? Or you've got the you've got the Rose Bowl. Okay, that makes sense. And then yeah. there's the Tropicana Bowl. Next up, you know, you got to have something named after a loaf of bread. Okay, well, I, I don't the know. Chick Fil A Bowl. The Chick Fil A, like that, exactly. Like this is it's ridiculous. They All these next they, next, they got to do the Chipotle Bowl with extra guac. Uh, ser- <laughs> Don't forget the queso. Don't forget the queso. It's good stuff. That would, that would be so funny if they named a bowl game the Chipotle Bowl with queso and guac. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know they should make the the jerseys of the two teams one guac themed, one queso themed. That would that would actually be electric. That'd be sick. Chipotle could actually do that. Um, and and I think for a bowl game, they can do that. They can give them custom jerseys. That would be so sick. Chipotle, reach out to us with questions. These are our ideas. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, another great piece of esports news to come out is that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is proposing and putting forth a couple of days in 2023 next year for an esports week. Now, it's not much of a week if it's only a few days, but uh, an official esports Olympic event. Not during the actual Olympics, because they obviously don't have time for that. But this could be, I, I actually like this format. The Winter Olympics are, are separate from the Summer Olympics, right? You know, you're not going to opposite sides of the world to try to do some ice skating in one time zone and, and some summer activities in another. I like this separation of having esports being its own thing, because I think yeah. they want to see what the viewership will be like at an international level in an Olympics setting. I mean, can you imagine having some of the best players from um, from each region get together? It's basically what they do already, right, with, with, with different esports. I mean, it's this is kind of how it works. It's just that the Olympic Committee is finally deciding to hop on the bandwagon of all these major publishers and sponsors that have already hosted some of the world's largest international tournaments when it comes to esports. So this is a great, like, oh, it's great that the Olympics are recognizing this. At the same time, it's like you're late to the party. This is already happening on a on a yearly basis and has been for a long, long time. Now, it depends on what esports they're going to be bringing into the field of play. I don't think that was mentioned in this necessarily, yeah. but you can assume that games such as League of Legends, you know, really anything Riot or Epic Games focused, uh, you, I, I feel like you could see both of those companies really getting the jump on this because this is the big difference between regular sports. Regular sports are done on a state-by-state basis, a.k.a. country-by-country basis. But esports are owned by companies. They're not owned by countries. So the real question here is how in the heck do the Olympics secure the rights and or 
the permissions to work with these larger companies. I mean, these larger companies are obviously like, wow, the Olympics, okay, we're probably not going to miss out on that. But keep in mind, you know, people have multiple teams in the United States. People have multiple teams in Korea, multiple teams in Germany, multiple teams everywhere else. No one country has a solid one team, you know? And so it's like, okay, so how are you going to distinguish multiple teams on an international level in order for there to be some sort of like fair competition per se for players to compete? I mean, you know, are they going to hold qualifiers from different teams and then a player maybe is picked up from each team? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what events they did last year? Because it looks like the they did the 2021 series and they're saying it attracted over 250K participants from 100 countries, in, including virtual competitions on baseball, motorsports, cycling, rowing, and sailing. You know, it doesn't I, look like it's League of Legends or Call of Duty or Apex, okay. which is interesting. I would hope that they would add a, a MOBA in an FPS game, but maybe they're sticking to sport games, right? Yeah, and I'll, some of those don't sound like sport games. Some of those sound like simulations or simulations. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. You know, could it be a rowing game that's attached to a, an actual rowing machine? Right. You know how there's those urns. Oh yeah. Do you think that's it? Is it is it virtual sports or is it video games? Well, in that case, I might as well go to a private gym and get the proper equipment and hook it up to whatever they need to. You know software wise to run things um but yeah you've you've got a good point i mean maybe maybe this isn't legit esports maybe this is olympic esports which is really you know electronic versions of sports that they play in you know the regular olympics but on a in on an inner you know an an e-level which yeah, honestly, really I think what it is like on an e-level and i don't know if i agree with that i don't think that's the same experience as watching no, the actual olympics so you know and i'll be honest i don't think i really paid attention much in 2021 due to covid so you know that's just that's just me being like yeah i you know i, I don't think i really really had that much care but that makes sense why they're doing it in 2023 now a couple years after since that's usually the cycle uh-huh. for a smaller tier olympic uh olympic sports so Okay, that's interesting. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on that and see where that goes. But uh, in sadder news, you know, most tech companies right now are under the under the gun, right? We've seen Meta, we've seen Amazon, we've seen um, Twitter, and more more and more larger companies. You know, these behemoths in the industry considered to be like untouchable, who are not untouchable when it comes to job loss, and so. You know, uh, this post here talking about Amazon starting to cut jobs. And where are they starting? They're starting in the Alexa unit and the gaming unit, uh, cloud gaming more specifically. Google Stadia shut down this past year. And so because of that, I think a lot of other companies are like, if Google can't do it, why the hell are we putting in this much money to do it ourselves? Like yeah. cloud gaming is not going to go away. It's it's definitely going to stay. But if there's one thing that they can drop for the time being, it's a majority of the people who are working on cloud gaming based projects because, you know, that's not important to delivering packages and making hella money off of people on a day by day basis. People yeah. in warehouses was, are not going to be laid off. It's, oh, it's yeah. tech people. 
I was thinking how you know I was thinking how much money has Amazon made on my family's Amazon Prime subscription. <laughs> I was thinking about this last night because the the benefits that we get are unbelievable, right? I, my family gets five percent cash back on purchases made on Amazon, mm-hmm. right? That is the highest amount of cash back you're ever going to get anywhere. And there's free shipping on everything, and you know we we have Amazon Prime. They just have such a sticky business model. I mean, it's unbe- like anything you want to buy, you buy on Amazon now, you know, especially if it's a physical product that you can't get at a closed store. And if you're getting it at a closed store, you're paying 20 percent more. More than likely. It, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I do. You know, as far as Alexa, I never understood why people use Alexas. I mean, I can get up and turn the lights off. Um and those those personal assistants, those AI assistants, they just don't do they don't add value to your life and they don't they can't answer questions that are complicated. I don't know. I, I never see the the usage for them. I've always wondered why Amazon and why Apple pushed these so hard. You know, the tech's just not ready yet. And I guess what they're doing now is they're collecting data so that they can run the machine learning algorithms and and have better conversations through these products later but um i don't know it makes sense they're cutting the unit and cloud gaming you hit it on the head yeah i've got a couple of uh apple home pod mini speakers which are great not the like big home pods but the smaller ones they are fantastic for sound they're lovely and colorful they're awesome love them no problem with those but they're i'm not using them for complex questions it's like play some music or, you know, shut off. Like that's, that's yeah. it. You know, not, not much that. other than that. And that's that. fine. But you know, they're, they're, they're hoping they're going to be so much more. Yeah. Well, you know, they keep advancing the Alexa to, to add it, you know, they've given it a screen and you know, the idea for these products is that they want it to be an in-home solution for, for, you know, calling people, right. They've the next step in, in Alexa it for especially like Facebook even came out with their own version of an Alexa with a screen where, you know, you have it at your home. It's basically, a, you know, it's a virtual telephone that you can use to call people and then FaceTime them on. But you're using Facebook technology in order to do so. So it's cool. But like that's that's kind of where a lot of them are going or, you know, some of these Alexas, you can ask some some interesting questions. But you're right. I mean. All it takes is for them to misunderstand you, and then it's like, well, I guess this isn't working to how I thought this was actually going to work. And yeah, so uh, they've you know they've started cutting jobs and in, in you know Alexa and cloud gaming, and it, it sucks, but there's no surprise. There's no surprise there. These are divisions that you know they can replenish later on, but for the time being, it's like, well, we gotta we gotta cut somewhere, and uh, this is where they're starting. Speaking of starting. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet dropped this Friday. I'm very excited. I'll be talking about it later today on the uh, second episode of this podcast, Pokemon Day, with uh, our other co-host, Warren Arnold. And uh, I'm bringing this up because the the question remains whether or not Scarlet and Violet will be the revolutionary game that, you know, a lot of folks are hoping it will be. So over the past five years, Pokemon has been releasing updated games for the Switch, so they started with Sword and Shield. Then, oh, well, technically they started with Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. And then they had Sword and Shield. And then after that, they remade Diamond and Pearl with Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. And then they had a new addition to the mainline series games called uh, Pokemon Legends of Arceus. 
And so they have updated the art style again and again and again, building on you know the progress of these prior games. And I'll go out I'll go out on a limb to say that for let's go Pokemon you know, let's go Pikachu and Eevee, Sword and Shield and as they call it, BDSP, uh, these games have advanced the stylized version of what Scarlet and Violet is probably going to be. Uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, in some aspects, in my opinion, was a step back as the art style they used was a, a Japanese art style called Chibi. And so, you know, the, the characters themselves were super small and cute and everything was rounded mm -hmm. off. And, you know, the Pokemon sprites and figures in the game were awesome and they looked good, but it was more cartoonish rather than realistic. And so I, you know, I, I love to watch content creators around in the space in the Pokemon community. And something that was said to me in one of the videos that I thought was really, really pertinent, which was, Pokemon is having an identity crisis. They can't decide whether or not they want their Pokemon to be more cartoonish or whether or not they continue to strive towards some type of realism to really make them as real as possible. Every time people look at a Pokemon game like this, they go, why can't this be Breath of the Wild? Why can't this be a, a perfect Zelda game with a completely open world, uh, fantastic, you know, battling aspects and more? And it's like, well, you know, the game isn't Zelda. You know, you're not running around as a character trying to hit people with a sword. You've got a team of Pokemon that have a lot of variables to them. And that's, a, you know, they have to put a lot of those Pokemon in the game to be able to do that. And then they've got to spawn in with different variables and even more and, it's a whole big thing. And I'm sure, you know, Breath of the Wild does have quite a bit of this, but I don't think Breath of the Wild has random monsters popping up. I think there are like big boss battles that you go and fight. Maybe there are smaller things popping up every now and then, but you can go into an open area in this new Pokemon game and like 10 Tauroses will spawn right in front of you. And you're like, well, I guess I'll just start exploring which one is the one I, I want to catch. You know, you got to catch them all. You got to figure out what stats they have, what nature they have, what ability they have, and mm -hmm. so much more. And so there's so much that goes into this game. And uh, so far from the leaks and from the footage that they have released, looks like it's going to be very, very promising. In fact, uh, their first live tournament uh, for the video game championship series in San Diego in January, uh, filled up registration already. So their January event oh, wow. from the sixth to the ninth. I'll be there. I'll be competing in this Let's event. Go. I was going to ask. That's uh, awesome. Five hundred and seventy-six players. They reached the cap. It is one more player than what we had at Dallas Regionals in twenty twenty-two. Or and that's the one where you played the crazy good guy, right? Uh, no, no, this is a way previous tournament. The okay. Crazy Good Guy was a different tournament. That was North American Internationals this past year. Wow. That's exciting stuff, though. It is. It, so you, is, you registered ASAP. You were I registered literally. I was here on my computer refreshing the browser. <laughs> and we had 400 people signed up within the first 10 minutes. Well, it, I can tell you it was not as crowded as the Taylor Swift concert drop. Uh, oh, my goodness. that there were 20,000 people in, in waiting line. Um, it wasn't me. I, I, I was not the one who was looking to buy Taylor Swift tickets, but it's okay. If you were, that's cool. That's good. Um, I, I don't actually play the Pokemon games. I play, you know, it, it's funny when I was a kid, my parents wouldn't get me a Nintendo DS, but they, they thought the PlayStation portable was acceptable. 
So I was playing PSP games, which were less, you know, PSP doesn't have its own IP. It's not Nintendo. Exactly. Um, you know, the only it's interesting. The only PlayStation IP that they really have now is God of God of War. And that's actually pretty good IP, right? Is that um you know, they've got God of War and then uh, you know, they they own Bungie now too. So Destiny is technically like it's not exclusive to to PlayStation, but Destiny definitely gets all the perks being on PlayStation. It, I think God of War is exclusive. It, it was I think I think it is exclusive to PlayStation. I don't think it's on Xbox. I could be wrong though. They could have expanded it. PlayStation. Yeah, maybe it's like thirty days later. Play so the way PlayStation works and Sony works is that they don't like to restrict. Spider Man is I thought I, I'm pretty sure. Is a restricted game to Sony, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spider Man is Spider Man. You know, the Spider Man games because they own, you know, they own the uh, the Spider Man name and uh, branding and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Sony likes to share. Microsoft not so much. Microsoft likes to take and take and take and not give back. <laughs> Sony goes, okay, well, we're going to give back to your community because we're not going to hold out. But we're, we're well, Sony gonna... won the war. For right you now. Know, I would say when, when, when we were like 10, Xbox was ahead. Oh, I agree. And I then agree, but Sony not anymore. got the exclusive for Call of Duty, and that changed everything. Exclusive? Which, which exclusive game? So they, you know, it used to be that on Xbox you would get the Call of Duty DLC a month early, and then it switched from Xbox to Sony. Oh, right? Sony yeah. gets, you know, when you play the beta, you can play eight hours early on PS whatever it is, you know, PS Five. DLC is a month early. Um, that that's a huge deal, and to you know, to me, and and you know, Call of Duty is probably the most mainstream video game for these consoles that was such a big deal and now it's really you know people say you know you see polls on social media and everyone's saying you know it's like 60 40 ps5 versus xbox one there are tons of xbox ones in stock it's still hard to get a ps5 period crazy yeah it's uh it ain't easy it ain't easy and uh with scarlet and violet you know at the end of the day uh, everyone's watching to see how popular this game will be if the hype is truly there. Because I'll be real, Sword and Shield was the first like official mainline Pokemon game for the Switch. This is now two to three years later, and we're about to get a new mainline game. And the question is, does this live up to and surpass Sword and Shield and really put the Switch to the test for what the Switch was built for? Yeah, so we'll I was going to say, you know, what's the console of choice for this game? Does does this game come out on Xbox or no? No. No, Pokemon is strictly Nintendo. Okay, okay. Strictly. I guess that was a silly question. Cuz no, I mean or, or cuz uh Mario Kart is the same. You can't get Mario Kart on Xbox. No. No, you can't. It's uh very specifically Nintendo. So, yeah, there's it's that's not happening. But uh you know, they did release a Switch OLED version, and so they do have an updated console. Bless you. They do have an updated console. Um, but at the end of the day, they've got the original Switch, they've got the Switch Lite, and then they've got the Switch OLED. So they've got three different Switch consoles that are out in you know in public right now. Bless you again. Uh, that people can use. 
And, you know, they have to build games knowing that that is a thing. They have made two previous consoles before they made the Switch LED. And so, you know, you can build some powerful games, but they can't be too powerful. They can't yeah. be too good because if they're too good and the Switch is like, you know, killing itself over over heat and, and not being able to, to cool itself off, that's that's problematic. Yeah, I might get a Nintendo Switch, honestly. I mean, it's a great time to get one. There's plenty around holiday season. My my best advice, don't don't be a cheapo and go for the Switch Lite because it's a ripoff. Switch Lite doesn't have the dock functionality that a yeah. Switch has. Essentially, it's not it shouldn't even be called a Switch Lite. It really shouldn't. It's not a Switch. It's not a Switch. It's just a mobile gaming device. That's it's what it's just it is. a PSP. Exactly. It's a, it's the it's the Steam Deck. It's a PSP, you know, oh, it's, the it's Steam Deck. That thing is <laughs> that thing's cracked. Wasn't <laughs> What do you mean by that? Uh people love that thing, dude. People are Really? People Oh yeah, you can do everything you do on a computer on the Steam Deck. No way. Oh yeah. I'm looking at it actually. It looks like a high-powered machine. It is. It really is. That's wow. why you can order it directly from Steam as well. It's a lot of money. It's seven hundred bucks. Yeah, but it's it's worth it. I mean, it's basically a, a portable computer in your hands, is what it is. That's crazy. You know how many RAM, how much RAM it has? I don't, like, but it's like it's good because players can, are playing some pretty good games on that thing. Can, can you play Warzone on this on the Steam Deck? Uh, I don't know, but if I had to guess, there's probably some way to do so. You'll you'll have to find the research to do so. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's a pretty crazy console. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess you know because Warzone's not on Steam, right? It's on uh, Act or Battle.net. Yes. Yeah, that's a little separate. A little separate. Interesting. I it, you know if you can play Warzone on the Steam Deck, that is crazy because that's a, still a small machine, right? And and if you can really because I, I mean, mean I've got a giant play, computer, yeah, and you can't really play Warzone on it. Well, you can, but it's like you got to run the fan like crazy. Oh, I know. Warzone is so crazy, graphics intense. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a lot going on. You got a lot going on, big time. Interesting. I'll big check time. it out. I want to watch some YouTube videos first. Yeah, for sure. Well, moving on here, uh, the future of Marvel Snap. So, Jacob, I don't know how how familiar how familiar you are with Marvel Snap, but this comes from a gentleman named Ben Brode who was actually a former developer and worker for Hearthstone basically goes to Marvel and pitches this you know this idea for uh you know a Hearthstone like game but for Marvel and so you know uh this this ex, uh this article on dextero.com talks about some of the you know future uh pieces of you know tech that they want to add to Marvel Snap it's been out for about a month, a little bit more than that now, and it has reached uh, critical acclaim. It is it is a fan favorite for many. I know lots of friends are addicted to playing this game, and you know I think every major company right now re has realized that Pokemon and Magic the Gathering got it right. There is money to be made in trading cards, and so you know we've talked about this too. How. Disney has their own card game coming out, um, you know, wow. hopefully sometime this year. And they partnered with Ravensburger, 
which I got to say, that's huge. Ravensburger is one of the largest puzzle manufacturers in the world. Uh, on top of the oh, fact yeah. that, on top of the fact that like they put out other games as well, this is like one of like this is a card game that I would want to buy a base set of, like right off the bat. I would take that I would take that base set box and I would set it aside and put it aside for the next twenty five years, because yeah. I think that that this is a this card you know this the, this set of cards from Disney is probably the safest bet on getting a return of, of your investment in the next 25 years uh, to be pretty big. I mean, yeah, they cool. would have and to... Burger is huge. Huge. Disney would have to royally mess up for their card game to not pop off. Really. And the only way they could do that is to be like Pokemon. And Pokemon does pretty well. But Pokemon refuses to really enter into the proper esports scene for their card game and for their video games. They don't offer proper professional support for the top players of their games, which Magic ha has pulled in recent years. They, they took that away. But Magic the Gathering, for years and years, had a full-on pro circuit where players were literally getting paid salaries by the company to stay at the top to be the best of the best. Pokemon does not necessarily need to do this. Disney, by no means, has to do this whatsoever. But you've got to have some level of high competition, and you've got to keep those tournaments running and running well in order for players to continue to play and buy cards. Other than collecting, people buy cards because they want them for competitive value. You know, anytime, you know, I, I have friends who are like, oh, should I buy or sell these cards? I go, well... You know, lucky for you, there are two markets. There's the collector's market, and there's the competitive market. There are cards that collectors want, and then there are cards that competitive players want and need for their decks. So one second, you might be selling one card to one individual as a collector, and then all of a sudden, I could find a competitive player who needs four, uh, four of those cards because they're limited to only four of the same card in a deck. It's crazy how it works, but you know, getting back to Marvel Snap, this game has been very addictive. I haven't gotten I haven't gotten onto it because I haven't had time. But for players who love Hearthstone, this is the game for you. If you love Marvel and you want to see like all the different Marvel characters and build decks around your favorite Marvel Marvel characters and heroes and whatever and villains, uh, this is this is the game for you. It it yeah, really these games is. Games have like built in monetization so well. Right, the fact that the, there's so many cards and you need to buy more cards to do better. These card games make so much money, and so these, much more than you would and think. And you you upgrade. It's similar to Splinterlands too, where yeah. like you upgrade cards. Yeah. Over time. Of course. I mean Hearthstone. I've played Hearthstone. You know, there's a basically a copy of it from Immutable called Gods Unchained. That's pretty yeah. good. And I mean, you're if you want to be the best, you need the best cards. Um, it's 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 these games have such good pay to win mechanics in them. I mean, good to some degree yeah. for the company, um, but for players generally, they'll have you know rule sets where you're only allowed to use base decks, um, so everyone is happy. I know, you know, they want to level the playing field the best they can, but sometimes it's just hard to do when you're trying to sell sell people up that's that's really the biggest goal like you said if you don't have the best cards you can't be the best so it's tough it's tough yeah. 
Okay, up next, Sony wants a blockchain for anything notable from notable players. So Sony currently right now says, look, if a player wins an in-game item from a big tournament, uh, there's no way to show it off. There's no way to prove that that item exists. And so Sony wants to build a blockchain for, for in-game items, for videos, for game clips, and more so that they they can have a digital ledger to keep track of some of the biggest big accomplishments not only for them but i think for players to kind of keep an eye on and to and to watch as well this is a really cool idea and it it actually they filed for this patent in 2021 and it went public 6 days ago on november 10th 2022 yeah so uh you know it, the coolest thing i see here is you know what i get the sense of is if someone uses a particular weapon in a game in a championship series mm -hmm. that weapon will then be moved to the blockchain via an nft and you know it's the weapon that faker used to win worlds right i know it's not going to be faker and it's not going to be a riot game but this is interesting i think it'll be a lot it's a lot of stuff like top shot too where it's clips this this seems pretty vanilla yeah right it's it's them saying they're going to do nfts and they don't they, ha they have some ideas for what they're going to put in there but it basically says they're going to put everything and i think they're just going to wait to see what's actually successful exactly exactly and you know it's it's like every major company like yep we got to move into this space but we don't have a predetermined or really big defined goal um you know although I can tell you who does have a big defined goal and has launched a digital uh, avatar clothing marketplace. It's Nike.swoosh is uh, officially up for up for sale uh, for Web3. And, uh, you know, this, this comes after us covering them last year or earlier this year at the very least uh, with their digital sneaker collection. Uh, and so this this has been something they've been building on for a long time. And they, you know, they launched their own, pardon uh, Nike has launched their own Web3 service platform for virtual apparel and other NFT-based products. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I can get to the site, but it doesn't look like, oh, yeah, here we go. Welcome to swoosh.com. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, but it's metaverse apparel, right? Yes, it is. So I don't know what metaverse you're sending this apparel to to use it on, but uh, yeah. Also, I don't know if I want to drop thousands of dollars for apparel when I can go to a store and get apparel for myself. Yeah. So you know, I you know that's that's really what I'm wondering. You know, what's the big sell other than like you've got apparel on some avatar in some metaverse somewhere that's like. Yo, I have a Nike T-shirt, or I have Nike shoes, or yeah, I got a Nike be, hat. It could be cool, and, and, it, and it, you know, it's still Nike, right? So people are going to pay a premium to be in the metaverse. Sure, sure. It it the just almost is, sounds yeah. like, you know, in Ni uh, Pokemon Go, Niantic teamed up with like Valencia to like launch in-game custom clothing for avatars. Mm -hmm. Just it's just you know they did that with Fortnite too, I think. Oh yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that nobody's using these metaverse apps right now, right? We've seen reports that Sandbox has 160 daily active users. Sandbox is valued at a billion dollars, and that doesn't add up, 
right? People aren't using the metaverse yet and there isn't a metaverse yet. So I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like this is going to be incredibly popular right off the bat. And uh, yeah, all this FTX news. I mean, crypto, if you thought crypto was was looked down upon before, I mean, imagine what, what people are thinking now. Probably not great things. And you know what? Uh, our last article of the day has to do with two very highly controversial topics around the United States and around the world, sports betting and crypto. And this this article is actually something that our company should probably look into in terms of how NFTs are used in a sports betting context because they've hit the nail on the head. So this project is called Pookie. And they are launching around the World Cup. And it was founded by a, a guy who was so good at making sports bets that, like, all the websites he would use to place bets were like, sorry, you can't use our website anymore. You're too good. Yeah. And so him and a buddy go to a VC and are like, yo, we have this really cool idea. Let's do it up. And so they're like, okay. So they have these NFT soccer balls that you have forever, and uh, they never expire, that allow you to, to bet on games. And then if you correctly bet, you gain uh, points and experience. And then they also have a very extremely limited Ethereum-based REC-20 utility coin that's going to be in on this as well. To then upgrade your pookie balls mm -hmm. and um you know as you keep playing you will get more and more rewards with the upgraded balls that you have it's interesting yeah, i worry i worry about the coin yeah coins in games are proving to not work very well um it's actually infinity it didn't work for all i wonder if they should not even have a coin and, and just have it be NFT based and allow people to buy it with whatever coins they want. But having your own coin just adds so much economics to how you need to run your system. Well, they cover it. They cover it, it pretty. You, yeah. You know, it may look good and it may give you cash up front, but in the long run, it is just so hard to control and you have to account for it with everything you do. I think it's a lot easier if you don't have a coin and you just have NFTs. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they, they do cover extensively in the article just a bit about how they're trying to be as careful as possible with their coin economy. So they, you know, they talk about how so many different projects and products overinflate their economy with coins and they, they don't really have much control. They're like, yeah, we're going to have pretty strict control. And, you know, but I feel like every group says this and then coins start getting generated and then at some point it's like okay so what do you do when once you cap out yeah that's that's the big question yeah exactly so uh it's a cool idea i mean the world cup in qatar is is either about to be a really great time or as predicted a living nightmare for all fans who go there to attempt to even view the world cup the country's too small. They don't have suitable housing. They've gone to like tents and like like temporary encampments for people to be able to go to Qatar to like stay there to be able to watch these tournaments. Crazy. It's it's insane. I think we talked about a couple weeks ago how the former head of the FIFA World Cup like organization was like I highly regret giving Qatar the World Cup like big time. And all I got to say is, bro, 
shut the fuck up. You probably got paid off by them. And yeah. like, I mean, realistically, how, 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 how is a country like Qatar getting the world cup being that small, not having the, the size and the industry necessary in order to truly host a world cup? Sure. They, their government could promise this and that, but I mean, here we are. Here yeah. we are. <sighs> I wonder what Qatar GDP is. Uh, I don't know, but so it's a, it's 180 billion. <laughs> so that's uh, about a twentieth of Germany. Yeah. Uh, what are some other company countries? Let's see. What's Argentina's GDP? So Argentina has a larger GDP than Qatar. I mean, Argentina is pretty big. What about Chile? Chile's pretty big too. 317. Let's see if we can find a country that's smaller. Sri Lanka. So Sri Lanka has about half the GDP of Qatar, and Sri Lanka is is one of the poorest countries. How about uh, how about South Africa? It's not a very small country, but I'm curious. So 420. Okay. Kenya is 100. Nigeria is 440. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, crazy small. So Qatar, they did. But how does Qatar even? I mean, it's it is crazy that he gave it to them. I mean what goes into this bidding process? Is it just a bidding process or is it like a selection based think, on resources? I think there's a whole bidding process and then, yeah, there definitely is a selection on resources and, you know, what I think the promises that you have to follow through with in order to be able to host in general. I, it's it's definitely not a, a willy-nilly like, oh, you know, uh, yeah. cities around the world put their bid in for the World Cup because they know how big it is. So, Sorry, not not just cities, countries, countries around the world will put in their bid for the World Cup. So, yeah, this is pretty big. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens, and uh, you know, we'll we'll cover if if anything cool happens there or if anything bad happens there. We'll see, we'll see. But uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Newsday podcast here on Esports Forever. Uh, thank you for to Jacob for hopping on, folks. Don't hop off just yet. Uh, we are going to be swapping over to our Pokemon Day podcast with Warren Arnold very, very soon, within the next 10 minutes. So uh, we'll be back here live on the channel. I'm not going to be going anywhere. We're not going to be shutting off. Uh, but uh, for this episode of the podcast, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe, follow, comment, like, and more. Until next time, we're out. We're out.